Now, guys, let me remind you of a couple things before I read my text. I told you I was going to do this every, every week, so here it is. First of all, the book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons. It's either a series or it's one very long one. But it's, um, it comes towards the end of Moses' ministry. Um, this is basically, the book of Deuteronomy, is basically a pastor who is saying goodbye to a flock that he pastored for 40 years. And he is giving them some information or passing along some instructions, leaving behind some instructions that he thinks will be most helpful, most vital for this flock that he loves as they entered the promised land. That's what's going on here, folks. Now, don't forget this either. This is a people who are a redeemed bunch. This is the people of God to whom Moses speaks, or at least from his vantage point, they are God's people and he's speaking to them like that. So keep that in mind. It's going to become pretty important in a couple of weeks. Now let me read you this paragraph. It begins in verse 32 of Deuteronomy 4. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, <coughs> pardon me, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above all, the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, what a paragraph.
Do you know what you've just heard? I mean, did you, did you get it? I, I tried to read it in such a way that would be explicative, but uh, do you know what Moses is doing to this flock that he loved? It starts, of course, in verse 32. And in verse 32, he begins to call them. He begins to appeal to them. He, he's asking them to think and to ponder it. And he is offering them a challenge. Did you get it? Did you see it? What he's saying to them is, I want you to start at the beginning of time, all the way, go all the way back to creation. And I want you to find another instance anywhere for anybody under any circumstances where God did these things for those people. Um, uh, I want you to go see whether something as great as this has ever happened for anybody else or ever having, has anyone ever heard of something this great that God has done for you? Um, do you realize, he says in this paragraph, what God did for you? He looks at his audience and he said, he, he's, he wants them to ask, our God did what? Moses is reasoning with them. Pardon me. And he does so through a series of rhetorical questions. Did you see the question marks? He concentrates or uses as examples two things. He starts off with a challenge. I want you to go check, go read any reports you want to, go look anywhere you can. And I want you to start with creation and see if there's ever been a God that has done for people what your God did for you. And he uses two examples as two things as examples of the greatness of the things that God has done for his people. First of all, Look at verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire and still live? I mean, God spoke and you heard him and you're still living? What a privilege. Tell me, oh beloved flock, did you know that, I mean, God lets you hear him? And we're still living. And by the way, dear ones, what do you think we would do if he hadn't spoke to us? Um, 
if God hadn't spoken to us, what would we have done? I mean, would he have left us to ourselves to figure this out as we go? I mean, would we, would we then be responsible for making up our own rules? Would we then have the opportunity to design our own God? Uh, you know, according to our own image? Gang, there is, a, there is a statement in the book of Proverbs that so many of you already know. It's in chapter 29. It was used and used and used uh, back in the 70s at missions conferences or uh, other things to raise money. But uh, it was, it's Deuteronomy 29. Without a vision, the people perish. And so um, people would say, well, we got to build buildings and we got to do this because without a vision, the people perish. Well, folks, that was a botched translation by the King James. And all of your newer translations will show you that. Because the writer translation of that piece of Hebrew is this. Where there is no revelation, the people go unrestrained. Where there's no revelation, people cast off all restraint. When, when I don't know what it is that God intends, and I'm left to myself, they cast off all restraint. Folks, we need a talking God. And it's very clear from the opening of the Bible that this God speaks. You remember um, in Genesis 1.28, God speaks to Adam. And one of the distinctions that is made between the animal kingdom and mankind is that God speaks to man he gives instincts to animals, but he speaks to man. Because we have a talking God. The eternal God stoops, he condescends to hold a conversation with finite, rebellious, wayward people like us. Did you know that God spoke to us? We heard him and we're still alive. Oh my. Gang, today, um, in the 21st century, 21st century man, having discarded the talking God, by discarding the record of what he said, they are indeed, as Proverbs said, casting off all restraint. And they are left to their own devices. And look, ladies and gentlemen, at the mess we are in. Gang, I'm not trying to pick on gender dysphoria, but it does, it is such a, such a great example 
of a people who have cut themselves loose from the talking God to the point that we question our own gender. You know, the Bible says, God has made us all, no matter what our color, he's made us all in his image. And he has also made us male and female. And yet once you cut yourself loose from the talking God, you can begin to question even that. And so what do we got now? Have you seen the number of states that are making laws now about um, uh, transgendered males cannot compete in female sports? We have to write laws to determine who can run on the track team. Oh, but you say that's, a, that's, that's a, just a small thing. Well, it is a small thing, I guess, unless you're a female athlete. And I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that is just the tip of the iceberg. And you know it to be so. Guys, love doesn't try to encourage people in their gender dysphoria. What love does is that we say to those who are struggling, here's what the talking God has said. He said he made you in his image and he made us male and female. Folks, if you are one who is struggling in your own world of gender dysphoria, my heart is very tender towards you. I'm, I'm sorry that that struggle is yours. It's a real struggle and I, um, I'm not trying to dismiss it in the slightest. What I'm trying to do is help. And here's the way I wanna help you. I wanna say to you, God made mankind male and female. You're one of the two. He didn't make three genders, he made two genders. Now the struggle that you've got going on has nothing to do with your outsides. It has to do with your insides. And we need to work through that. We need to work long and hard through that, yes. But when you cut yourself loose from the talking God, then you can even question your gender. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what a kindness it is that God talks, that he's spoken, 
He didn't leave us in the dark. He didn't lead us, leave us to grope around as to what's right. He spoke. And guess what? We're still alive. Gang, pause with me. Do you see what Moses is doing? He's saying, listen, I want you to just think about it for a minute. Just go back to the beginning of time if you like. It's fine with me. Just ask yourself, has there ever been a God like this? <laughs> I mean, ever been a God like ours? I mean, a God that spoke and you heard and you're still alive? Has there ever been a God like that? Your God did what? He spoke. He gave us instructions as to what was true. And we're still alive. Here's the other thing he mentions. Again, by way of rhetorical question, he says, um, uh, or has any God, this is verse 34, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? <laughs> oh my. God invented a nation. And, and I must add, ladies and gentlemen, there is no other way to explain Israel's existence and her survival over the centuries other than that fact. Folks, you can see that at the Red Sea, for instance. You know, they're just coming out of Egypt and they're headed towards the promised land and they come to the Red Sea, the Red Sea's in front of them and the Egyptian army's behind them and oh no, this national experiment is over. It didn't last very long. They're done for, they're cooked. And God parts the Red Sea, Israel goes through, Egyptian, uh, Egyptian army follows and they're drowned. Folks, you can see it in World War II. If Hitler had won, he would have been on a course to, de to destroy all Jews, all of Israel. How has that nation survived in the face of so many enemies? Well, because this nation was invented by God. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you do know, don't you? I hope John Piper said it just a week ago. You do know that the church, us, Ewans, the church is nothing more than New Testament Israel. So how has the church survived in the face of all of her enemies? Same way. She's the invention of God. Folks, in the Greek pantheon of gods, nations invented gods, not gods inventing nations. And if you want to go see what happens when nations invent gods, then go to India and look at Hinduism's gods. Ladies and gentlemen, they are hideous. And I mean that with every fiber of my, they're, they're snakes and scorpions and elephants. They're hideous.
That's what you get when nations create gods instead of God creating the nation. Folks, Israel was birthed. Did you notice what it says um, <clears throat> out of another nation? By trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war. By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and great deeds of terror. Do you know how Israel got invented? The strong hand of God reaches into Egypt, plucks them out by signs and wonders, a series of signs and wonders, and they were birthed. Well, actually, that's not true. They got birthed earlier in Genesis with this guy by the name of Abraham. Who is Abraham? Well, his daddy Terah, uh, you know, uh, was an idol worshiper and he lived in the Ur of the Chaldees. So God reaches down, grabs Abram, and the nation is born. God called into existence something that wasn't. You see, Hey, folks, says Moses, I mean, have you ever heard of a God who's done something like that? You've never heard of a God who created a nation. There's never been a people who have been so favored as have been God's people. Now, that said, in this paragraph, in verse 35, Moses then calls them to remember their deliverance. Don't forget what, out, out of what God called you. He called you out of a out of a cruel place, out of a hopeless place, out of a place of bondage. Don't forget that. And I want you to admire, says Moses, the God who delivered you. Moses is calling his flock of redeemed people To a sense of wonder. Wow. Look at what God did to produce us. Look at what God did to produce me. He called into being something that wasn't. And then, having paused to admire, he tells them that this wonder is to move them. To move them how? Guys, did you notice how verse 40 opens? Therefore, 
Do you know what Moses is doing there? He's now applying. He's now taking his sermon content and he's applying it. He's saying, in light of the fact that there's never been a God like yours, and there's only one that exists, he said that twice. And in light of the fact that this God spoke to you, you heard it, you saw it in the fire in the mountain, he has enabled you to see and hear. And in light of all that, therefore, You shall keep his statutes and his commandments. What is the proper response to a God this great? Obedience. My obedience is the result of a wow factor. Wow! Yeah, I remember. Yes, he spoke. We saw. We heard. And then, how about that? He created a nation. We're it. You know, the least that I can do (laughs) is obey him. A God that would do that? Okay. No problem, Moses. My obedience grows out of a wow factor. Now, gang, stay with me. Do you see then that disobedience is the result of unbelief? You see, if my obedience is the result of my faith in this talking God, then my disobedience is the result of my concluding, I don't believe in any talking God. I don't believe that he created any. I don't believe any of that. And thus, I am now left to set my own agenda. I am now left to tell you what my gender is. Folks, What has happened? Don't blame any political party for this chaos in which we find ourselves. We are living in times of insanity. And do you know why? We rejected the talking God. Don't blame the Democrats for that. Don't blame the Republicans. It was unbelief that brought us here. You know, my wife, in fact, folks, 
And I think you'll agree with me. I, I cannot possibly imagine where we go next. My wife did read me an article this past week where there's a very elite uh, private school in Virginia that has um, eliminated math because math has too many absolutes in it. Oh. Well, folks, I want you to know I don't want to fly on any airplane that's been engineered by somebody who doesn't know math. Or I don't want to drive over any bridge where the engineers didn't master math. And by the way, the IRS doesn't allow me to send just any old amount I want in. No. I send in what is the result of math. But we're going to eliminate it. You know how we got there? The rejection of this talking God. Folks, let me, um, let me close by telling you that there is something even beyond the wow factor. Um, all of this talking God and that he created a nation, all of that is surpassed in the revelation of God himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You do know, don't you? That one of the reasons that Jesus came, it's, this is in John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus has come so that he might make him known. Gang, you remember when Jesus was baptized and the transfiguration, this voice from heaven comes and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Well, why should I listen to him? Because he's the talking God. Guys, this God accomplished a complete and lasting deliverance in and through Jesus Christ. Wow. To reject that God, to reject him, is to consign yourself to insanity, to irrationality. You are walking into a life with no math. can't imagine how that's going to work but it's not going to be pretty gang no appeal moves us to obedience as does love and that's what Moses did he reminds them of all that God has done for them And I am here to remind you 
of what he continued to do consummated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, this talking God, this God who invented a nation, is the same God who sent his son to save. One other thing and I'm done. Did you notice this? Did you notice that right here in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 4, you have redemption summarized? Let me do it for you real quick. Number one, verse 37, it starts with God choosing a people. Number two, he then delivers those people out of bondage. Number three, he makes it possible for them to hear and to see. Number four, he then gives them the privilege of obeying him the rest of their days. And number five, that results in a life of blessedness in the promised land. Now, and a life of felicity and bliss in heaven for an eternity. Wow. Our Father, would you use this sermon on the part of Moses to remind us as New Testament Israel that we are redeemed by the outstretched arm and the mighty hand through a series of signs and wonders we have been wrenched from our own bondage and we've been set free to obey forgive us O God that we play fast and loose with your instructions would you convict us to that end and then would you grant us the indwelling power and might of the Holy Spirit to change that and to become more and more an obedient people. And Father, if you have brought people here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you show them what, that what awaits them if they continue to refuse this free offer of the gospel? That they are headed to a lifetime of no math. Oh God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. It is our privilege to yield to it and ask for mercy to obey it. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.